You're listening to the Modern Web Podcast. For more podcasts, videos, and events, find us online at modern-web.org or follow us on Twitter at modern.web. That's M-O-D-E-R-N-D-O-T-W-E-B. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Modern Web Podcast. I'm your host, Rob Osell. I'm an architect at This.Labs. Today, we have a special treat. We are extremely excited to talk about automotive automotive, excuse me, app development with Harman Ignite Store, Naoki Ogishi, who is a director of product management at Harman International. Naoki, how are you doing? I'm doing great. Thanks for having me. I'm excited to talk about software and automotive and what's happening. Yes, we have been lucky enough that uh, Harman has sponsored some of these podcasts in the past, and we were looking into the cool things that you were doing. We decided that we had to do a podcast with you as well. Um, And to get us started, you know, just sort of talking about this sort of product and this this topic is that one of the things that I think is really interesting is that uh, a lot of times we talk about web development topics here. And I think web developers have this sort of perception that the web is permeating all spaces and everything is becoming sort of web enabled. Uh, and and bringing in HTML. But I think sort of two environments which have really sort of flourished and been super interesting in sort of the embedded system space is uh, televisions, which we're not talking about now, a ton of interesting stuff going on with custom software for televisions, but also cars and and automobiles in that space. So really kind of curious for people that have only maybe interacted with software in their cars insofar as they plug their phone in and stuff pops up, where is software development in, embedded in cars kind of, where is it right now? Kind of what's happening in that space? Kind of what's the sort yeah, of state of yeah. play? I think, that's, I think that's a great way to actually tee it up. So there's a lot of big changes happening in the automotive space. I think just in the last uh, couple of years and, and, and maybe just to like back up a little bit, I, I've been doing product. So I've, I, work in Silicon Valley. I used to prior work at uh, places like eBay and used to be a developer even before that. But I've been in the automotive space for the last 10 years Um, and specifically working on ideas around how to create connected experiences in vehicles. Um, And even in my 10 year history, I would say in the last two to three years, there's been a significant change and and i think the the biggest as you mentioned the biggest thing that's really changed with car with cars is um the emergence of these um technologies like carplay and android auto and you know like these companies like apple and google basically kind of you know pushing their experiences and kind of taking control of the screen of the vehicle which you know is is uh, a I think can be kind of perceived as a threat to some car companies, but ultimately you can't, what you can't deny is the adoption from the consumers and the, and the drivers, right? Like I think if you're technology, technically savvy and you're a driver, that experience of the plugged in Google maps and Android auto in your car or Apple maps in your car is, is superior. And I think that's really kind of forced the car companies to really think about you know, how they should, how they should respond and how, how, how they stay relevant. And in the last three, about three years ago, uh, a big thing that happened was Google introduced this thing called Android automotive OS for the cars. So basically um, it's, it's pure Android with just a few additional components built on top of it to op- optimize for, for vehicles. And um, the adoption of when that was announced and introduced, the adoption was 
unlike any kind of technology adoption I've seen in the auto automotive space. I think they're currently projecting 70% of vehicles shipped um, over, the, over the next few years, there's gonna be a ramp up, but um, getting to like about 70% of the market, cars will, uh, cars will have Android Automotive OS running in their vehicles. And I think for developers who might be listening to this uh, podcast, I think that's hopefully a super exciting proposition because that means that there's gonna be a very modern operating system with a very modern set of developer tools that are gonna be available for developers to jump into building automotive apps, basically. Yeah, I mean, I feel like there are developers, Android developers listening to this right now that their ears suddenly perked up. They went, wait a second, I didn't hear about this. And, right. you know, because I don't know if this is correct, but it would have been my perception that in the previous era, you would have had all sorts of proprietary uh, OSs that the different manufacturers would use that would all kind of, you know, the biggest players uh, might have spend the effort to get apps that would work on each individual one, but otherwise, you know, for people that are generalized app developers, wasn't a lot of reason necessarily to invest in that kind of effort. But suddenly hearing that there is, uh, that you can leverage the Android platform and sort of the, the same kind of mobile techniques and approaches and developers that you're already using, maybe to bring a wider variety of apps into these cars, that that is pretty revolutionary and that is pretty exciting. Yeah, it, it, you know, it used to be like, previously there was a few, you know, software brand, uh, branded software apps or services out there that have tried to come into automotive in the past. And we've tried to help a number of them. Um, you know, like I think some of the bigger ones are like uh, in the streaming media space, like Pandora and, you know, iHeartRadio and those, those kind of companies. and. You know, the, you, you look at the investments that they made uh, in terms of time, resources, and you know the outcomes that they got. Yeah, it's definitely it was a very challenging time before Android Automotive, and um, yeah, it, and they were they were dealing with basically each car company having um, a slightly different. So basically, QNX and Linux were the uh, were the previous standards, and each deployment of those was highly customized for each of the car companies. Um, so the car companies would spend tens, hundreds of millions of dollars to customize these operating systems, um, build very little in terms of developer frameworks, right? They were just kind of building everything internally or for themselves. And then, um, and then, and then developers would basically struggle to try to figure out how to, how to build anything for those platforms. And it would it take, they would spend years doing it and, you know, have very little to show for it. So, yeah. So. One of the things that I think Android developers are already familiar with is the challenge of building software for a wide variety of different form factors, right? They don't have the luxury of the Apple ecosystem where there's just sort of one flagship product. They have to do all sorts of different permutations. And I can definitely, from my limited experience, understand that that persists with cars, uh, mm -hmm. that these different screen sizes are all over the place. But other than screen sizes, and maybe we could also talk about screen sizes, what are some of the unique challenges that app development in cars faces? Is it is it purely that? Is it also just how protected um, some of these softwares have to be, especially when so much of the car systems is also, can, you know... Um, uh, you right. know, also electronic, like what are kind of some of the unique things that app developers maybe will start to become acquainted with if they move into this space? Yeah, that's a great question. So I, I think Google's really done a great job uh, trying to solve, um, you're, you're right, like the dealing with different types of screen sizes or, um, 
you know, even like, you know, the, the car companies like choosing a very unique color palette for their system and that kind of affecting the overall user experience. So, so what, what Google's basically uh, done here is basically they've introduced a set, uh, a development framework and it started with Android Auto itself. So if you think about the experience in Android Auto, you open up Spotify or you open up Audible, primarily those user experiences are the same. You might have like a little logo for Audible or Spotify in the top corner, and maybe the colors shift a little bit, but you know the basic the, the basic screens are all the same. So it's it's basically a um, a kind of a, a pattern of software development that we refer to and Google refers to as basically templated application development, where um, the developer has complete control over all of the business logic and internal logic of the application, but then they have a limited set of UI templates in order for them to actually kind of draw the content onto the screen. And um, that solves a, a few different issues that the car companies have with outside software coming into their vehicle. Like number one, it, the templates solve all of the different form, you know, screen resolutions and, um, you know, portrait and landscape and, you know, all those kind of like screen proportion issues. And then, you know, it also, um, solves for the develop, I think both for the developer and for the car company, um, any issues related to uh, what we refer to as driver distraction, which is like really kind of like building, building user experiences that might distract the driver from the primary task, which is, you know, operating the vehicle. Right. So, um, and the way that they do that is basically that these templates have um, configurable uh, settings in terms in, settings into them in terms of how many button taps a, use, a user can push before the screen locks out or how long the user can actually scroll a list or uh, those kind of things. So those are all controlled by um, the car company based on, on their, on their uh, preferences. But then from a developer perspective, it's all kind of obfuscated or you know, they, they don't um, have to deal with it or those changes don't really affect their code, right? So. Um, they, the, the mantra, I guess, for Android automotive that, that we're really trying to push. And, and I think Google's really trying to push is like, you know, it, it is truly a standard. It, it, the car companies have learned their lessons from the past. They're, they're not fragmenting Android. Um, and, um, you, you truly can de develop one application and deploy it to, you know, 10 different brands across the world, uh, automotive brands across the world and, and have that application actually run. And, and, and create, provide a really good experience for end users. That's awesome. Uh, I mean, I remember encountering this in some of the, I don't really know what the current state of play is with the different providers of phones for Android, but I know in the early, in the right. early ages, this was one of the big problems. It was like, yeah, sure, it's all Android, but you know, the BlackBerry one is so different from the whatever one is so different from the whatever one. Uh, so it, it is good to hear that uh, hopefully the car manufacturers have learned a valuable lesson. Uh, and good for developers too, because it can be so difficult to maintain versions of these different apps that are only subtly different and, uh, and try to avoid those bugs and, and maintain that going forward. So. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Yeah. You know, the, the, the challenge for the automotive industry, I think is, um, so, you know, I think when, when we, we talk to a lot of developers out there, um, you know, we try to, and we try to convince them to come to our platform. And, you know, and especially when you're talking to um, some of these bigger companies and, and the scale that they get from smartphones, um, you know, that, that, you know, when you're talking about billions of devices 
Um, you know, cars, you know, even, even with 75% running Android, you know, you're still like an order of magnitude less, right? You're probably going to max out at hundreds of millions of vehicles rather than billions of devices. So we really, I think Google kind of under, really understands this. And obviously they have their scars from the early days of Android. And I, and I think the car companies um, haven't tried to develop on their own for the last 10 years also kind of understand that the scale is uh, providing the scale and the reach to the developers is really the only way any anybody playing in the space is going to be successful. And honestly, the integration is so strong. I, I you know, when I had started uh, preparing for this podcast and I was researching a little bit, I suddenly realized how much I sort of take for granted uh, in my wife's vehicle, this sort of seamless UI experience of connecting the phone and then using something on the screen and not realizing that maybe that wasn't an app, even as a developer, somehow my brain just conceptualized it as being a projection of my phone onto the mm -hmm. screen, not even thinking that there was probably a whole software system going on there. And honestly, that level of seamless integration is going to be super important because people will come to expect that. Or certainly if they've seen another car that has it, 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 it could become a, you know, a key differentiating factor on, on their decision. So um, I can definitely see this kind of thing being really important if it isn't already uh, soon, I guess, as people become less and less accepting of, oh, I'll just plug my phone into an aux port and I'll do everything on my small device, you know, that's mounted here. And they really kind of expect these experiences to be built into their, their vehicles. So, yeah, I think, it, you know, great, great. Great point. Uh, it's something that we uh, obviously think a lot about, you know, w w where we see this industry is kind of like where the smartphone industry was maybe 10 years ago, right? Where like, if, you know, if you were an app developer or a software developer 10 years ago, like who knew like what was going to happen in the smartphone industry? And, and we really kind of think like all the pieces are in place in the automotive side. So you look at like n now, like, you know, Proper, a proper operating system running in, running in the vehicle with good developer frameworks. Um, most cars are connected, even if the end user is not actually using that um, that 4G or uh, connection in the vehicle. There there is a, a modem in the car, um, and um, and then you look at some of the industry leaders um, like Tesla, uh, where you know like if you put the right set of features with a kind of a minimum bar on user experience for those app, for those for those features you you get huge uh, adoption like i think the, the market research says that Google, uh, tesla gets something like 80% of their 80% of their customers you know actively paying for that $10 a month whatever co connectivity package into their vehicle and then you look at the typical bmw driver you know they they're probably in, in the same you know, salary bracket, but they're, you know, it's like something like 10% are, are actually paying for it. Right. And there's a, and a lot of that just comes down to building quality software and quality user experiences. So. Well, that kind of brings us to, to, to Harman's position on this. So uh, y'all are watching this and participating in this uh, sort of whole movement. Um, and obviously it presents some opportunities to you. So I was curious to maybe just kind of introduce some of the different products or offerings that you all have released to kind of assist in this transformation in the automotive space? Yeah, thank you very much. Um, yeah, so uh, I am, uh, yeah, so again, my name is Naoki Ogishi. I am uh, the director of product management for a platform called Ignite Store. Uh, 
And what Ignite Store is, is um, uh, an app store platform uh, for developers uh, that's completely built on top of Android Automotive OS as a standard. So um, I think, you know, if there's any developers out there uh, who are interested in learning more about Android Automotive, we have a, a developer portal. It's called ignitedevelopers.harman.com. Um, we encourage folks to um, come check out the content that we have there. Um, yeah, I, I think, um, and, you know, and we have a bunch of partnership, uh, our partnership team standing by to, if you have questions about, you know, any, anything from the business side to the technical side, um, we have a set of architects and, and, and develop and, uh, our partnership team standing by to, to talk to you about both, um, the standard kind of Android automotive, um, operating system that Google provides as well as as the frameworks that we're introducing to kind of like um, do even more interesting things on on top of it. And um, just to talk a little bit more about Harman. So Harman, um, I don't think you can say the name Harman. I don't think a lot, many people have actually heard of it. But what we are actually are is um, Samsung's uh, largest uh, subsidiary. And um, in that space, we 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 basically for Samsung, we basically we represent kind of two things. So one is um, uh, our history in audio. So we have a lot of brands called JBL, JBL, Mark Levinson, and Harman Kardon, of course. And then on on the automotive side, we do uh, infotainment systems for many of the major car companies in the world. So um, we're already working on integrating. We have great relationships with car companies. We're integrating this Ignite Store platform into uh, a number of different car companies that have great reception from um, the automotive community on our platform. And um, uh, if you have any, yeah, I guess really, we're just really looking to, to talk. And I think for most developers is, is you know, we, we highly encourage looking at the Google documentation on Android Auto and Android Automotive on their website. And then, and then if you really want um, scale to reach all of, as many car, cars as possible using um, Android, um, I think you, you know, developers should really consider the Ignite Store platform as well. Awesome. So I want to dig into some different pieces of that. So the first, we'll stick with the, the App Store at first, because we'd already talked about some of the challenges that people face, well, certainly before Android Automotive, but, but now even um, with the different providers uh, having, or the different manufacturers, excuse me, having maybe different requirements for distractedness or for whatever else those parameters are, which are luckily abstracted to some extent by the OS that's provided. Um, but you guys kind of are talking about having this ability to upload it to your app store. And if I'm not mistaken, my understanding of it is, is that it helps facilitate then the propagation to whichever manufacturer's um, the person might want to engage with. I'm kind of curious if you could go in a little bit more about uh, how that works or what that offering specifically is. Like, do you all give it the strictest review and then that opens it up? Or kind of how does that system work for people that are thinking about building, you know, their their next app? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, yeah, so, yeah, so I, so I can uh, walk through the process a little bit. So basically, yeah, so you start at our web, web portal, um, we, you know, get some credentials, log into our platform. It's very similar to Apple App Store or, you know, Google Play Store console in terms of how that, how, what that user experience is for a developer. 
we give a lot of control uh, to the developer in terms of where they want their application distributed. Technically, what what specifics you know requirements your application might have, right? Those all can be inputted into our system. Um, and then uh, when you submit your application, so one of the unique things that I think that we do uh, that might be a little different than um, than Google or Apple is that we so we're we're kind of dealing with this. Uh, unlike Google and Apple, we have, you know, we have obviously the end users that we need to make happy, we, the developers who we need to encourage to come to our platform, but then we also have this third stakeholder, which is the car companies, right? So we really, we really need to find, find a balance between the three. And when you think about the car companies, um, they're really kind of, this is all new territory for them. So when you think about them, they're, they're really thinking about perceptions on security, privacy, you know, what, what are their drivers going to think about all this stuff? And, you know, and, and ultimately like they just don't want to, they're motivated to not end up in, you know, tomorrow's newspaper about, you know, getting hacked and, and those types of things. So when you up, when developers upload an application to our platform, our primary responsibility um, as Harmon is to basically make sure that that application is, um, is not going to be harmful to the vehicle, right? So we basically, we, we do two things. One, one is basically a security scan on your application, right? To so make sure there's not, no viruses. And then your application isn't coded in a way that is trying to get access to more system resources or this information than it really should, right? Um, and then we also do like a quick, um, you know, kind of like, manual user acceptance test of the application just to make sure that okay just logically speaking this application has value and you know it has some use it's not just some dummy application or or something like that right so that's um that's our certification process we've been accepting applications for about the last 12 months now and um really what we've kind of found is that the car companies are so excited to have these applications in their vehicles that they are, um, you know, very uh, happy to, you know, um, even if there are, I guess our message to developers is don't be afraid of our certification process. It is not very stringent. If we find some issues, we will communicate those back to you. But what we've generally found is um, anything coming from the third-party developer community is a, is a, at a much higher quality than most of the things that the car companies are building themselves anyways. So uh, the car companies are very happy to get, receive those applications and ha happy to be patient while, you know, if there's any minor bugs in those applications while those developers fix those things. Um, I'll tell you what, speaking as somebody that's both written some of the software as a developer and had to do some project management and lead teams like this, I mean, it doesn't sound scary. It actually sounds super exciting because I can imagine the process without this, even with broad adoption of this uh, sort of Android automotive uh, OS, is still going to be caught up in a bunch of individualized requirements. And so this idea of kind of learning one set of rules um, and letting you guys work out the details with the individual uh, manufacturers is how you know those set of rules adapt to theirs. I, I think that's the kind of stuff that gets developers excited because they're excited about building their tool 
You kind of right. don't want to have to worry about how it gets into the car <laughs> in the very end. They just want to worry about building a really cool app. So, That's right. you know, yeah. I think stuff like that will be super exciting to people for exactly that reason. Yeah. And I think I think we're we're really excited with the way things are kind of going and progressing and um, and the response that we're getting from develop developers once that they choose to work with Android Automotive and with and work with Harman. And yeah, I think um, it, it, it's it's early days, but I think it's it's really proving that um, developers can basically, you know, so so I, I think a really good um, story that we hear a lot from developers is that if you already support Android Auto with your application, and and granted, in in um, in Android Auto is it's a pretty limited set of categories that Google currently supports, although it's expanding every six to twelve months. Um, if you have an application in Android Auto, the effort that it basically takes those engineers to convert to Android Automotive and and some of their applications to uh, uh, our our store our, our store platform or Google's is you know as short as you know, like four weeks like literally four weeks is um, you know what we're actually seeing like one engineer um taking and basically all all they're doing is like they're removing features from the smartphone version of the application right like you don't need um you know change password uh when you're driving 60 miles an hour so you know you just you're probably just pulling some stuff out out of the application that's not not appropriate for in vehicle and um and then you're basically submitting that application and and if you already are familiar with android auto then there's really no learning curve as a developer for people that know, they probably know, but I, I, I realized I don't think we've introduced those terms. Um, it, people might be listening, and if you're not familiar with the topic, you might think auto, automotive, those are just different versions of the same thing. But right. in this case with Android, it's actually a little bit different. Would you mind explaining that to the people that aren't familiar <laughs> with the differences between those and how that interfaces with anything that... Uh, yeah, absolutely. So I, I think most um, consumers are, are pretty familiar with Android Auto. That's the technology where you basically plug your phone into your car and um, it's basically it's doing a projection of your of a, a version of your phone's experience, basically, but the kind of optimized for your vehicle. So there's all the apps are running inside of the smartphone, and then the smartphone's operating system is connecting connecting to the infotainment system of your vehicle and displaying um, the content onto the screen, and then you can control it using primarily primarily through voice or. Uh, by tapping on your on your vehicle screen, so that that's Android Auto, right? Um, Android Automotive is basically um, the oper the this new operating system for infotainment systems, right? So basically, when when I say infotainment system, that's the center stack of your vehicle, your car stereo, basically, which is now a touchscreen and has navigation and all those kind of things. That's the infotainment system. So Android Automotive OS is this operating system that is going to be running in. Uh, behind that touchscreen in your vehicle. And that's where, when you build an application for Android Automotive OS, what we're talking about is having an app store in your car and you, you, users being able to choose one of those applications to actually download and run on Android Automotive OS. It is confusing. I wish Google had come up with some slightly different naming conventions, but it is what it is. Yeah, as, as a web developer that's used Angular before when they decided to separate out their two major releases of their software between Angular and Angular JS. Uh, <laughs> I'm familiar with this pain, so absolutely. Right. 
Right. Um, all right. Well, another part of the platform, which is sort of really cool, is this template library piece. And, you know, again, for some of our listeners, you might be familiar with this. It sounds awfully similar to some things like, you know, like Ionic and companies like that that produce a set of kind of building blocks that will represent differently on different platforms in ways that are somewhat invisible to you, but in a design system that uh, will generally have a consistent look and feel kind of working in each different platform. So I was curious if if you kind of go into a little bit of maybe what's available there. We, we talked a little bit about templatable being part of the, maybe part of the OS as well, but this sounds like an extra layer of assistance on top of that even. Yeah, so... Um... So, like I said, this concept of templated app development uh, for automotive first um, came from Android, the projection, Android Auto. Um, and when you think about uh, the types of applications that are available through kind of projection projection modes like Android Auto, um, primarily it's media applications. There's you think of you know there's phone, there's navigation, there's there's media, right? So um, for the last few years, um, really the only type of applications that were getting approved by Google uh, were that they were running on this templated system were, were media applications. So if you think about media, basically media breaks down into um, th about three templates that the developers can basically use. There's a uh, what they refer to as the now playing screen, which is your your basic like what's currently playing plus like the play pause like that main screen. There is a browse or explore where you can kind of look through your playlists, um, and then and that can be basically by the, set by the developer to either be just a traditional list like a hierarchical list view, or some sort of um, visual uh, uh, grid type browse experience. And then um, actually, and then I, I, and then search, right? Search, search is the search and being able to display a search result in a template is, is basically the, the the third one. So if you think about it in those terms, so those are the basically the three templates for for uh, media. And then what Google has recently done is they've introduced um, a new set of templates for uh, what they're referring to as the parking and charging categories. So basically the kind of like this, what we what we refer in the automotive industry as POI, point, point of interest type content. Um, um, and so then there's a bunch of, um, you know, ways to basically display. So for that type of experience, you can imagine like, it's very like search driven, right? But then it's very, um, location is a key context. So then they introduce lists, that kind of lists that have split views with some maps. So you can uh, render some, uh, uh, map areas with some pin and display some pins on top of it, and then use that to create some kind of like location-based search experiences. So th those are the first set, um, or set the next set that's coming from Google. All in all, in terms of you, if I try to remember, I think there's basically somewhere between fifteen and tw to twenty templates currently available in that library. Um, and then if you come talk to us, we can share you some of um, our extensions on top of that, that may be introduced uh, another five to six templates. Um, and, and what we're, what we're really trying to do is um, push the industry to, to go fast or push Google to go faster by just introducing these, these templates, right? 
and um, and uh, start to move into ultimately move into you know other categories. So we have something more than just navigation and media, you know, as as the primary categories, and start to have things like, um, you know, like uh, some of the one of the things that we're working on is productivity applications. So being able to have you know, um, be, be able to do a video conference like this, right? Maybe, maybe without the video part, but at least the streaming audio part, and um, having those app developers be able to come to our platform as well. So, so kind of curious for either for your platform, for the manufacturers, for Google, all the people that have a say in this. What are the kind of the limits of these apps? At least maybe as they stand, or maybe that'll never be broken. You know, are there? Um, limits to what developers uh, should have access to. One of the things that popped into my mind was maybe this idea of having like a Strava-like app or something that, you know, mm -hmm. is helping to manage different statistics and sensors over time and, I don't know, giving you whatever kind of interesting reports and integrating with the web and things like that. Like, are there are there currently limits? Is that primarily legal in nature? Is that primarily risk-based in nature? Like, kind of what where do people, you know, how, how should people kind of bound their imaginations as they're listening to this and thinking of the apps they might build? Yeah, that, that's an interesting question. Um, yeah, so th th there, there are a number. So, like I said, it's very, very early days for um, this this kind of area of, of software development. But um, what we're currently finding is, uh, like I said earlier, there, there should be limits on driver distraction, right? So developers will be restricted on how many times a user can tap the screen or how, how long they might kind of interact with a particular application while driving. So no no cookie clicker for the for the automobile. Yeah, exa exactly. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and, and, and but but you know I think we have to think about the current state of, of vehicles and then also think about the, the maybe five years from now. So, you know, the, we, we do need to think about this fact that like the way that some of these car companies are thinking about the future is like, look in the future, cars basically going to be like a little living room and you're not even driving. And why wouldn't it be cool to have, you know, have some cool experiences or things to do while you're inside of the vehicle. Right. Um, so there is kind of that present state, where we are kind of restricted and then I, I think kind of a future vision. So that, that's one area. I think the other thing that developers should really be thinking about when they're thinking about um, automotive app experiences is that um, you can't ignore the smartphone, right? Like this, like it's, it's almost an assumption that if someone is tech savvy enough to start interacting with apps in their vehicle, they, you know, they're also probably a power user to some extent with their smartphone application. And there's, there's um, from a user journey perspective, you really kind of need to think about what things are best left to smartphones um, and what things, um, what parts of your experience you want to service in the vehicle. And I don't think there's really any app developer that we have in our platform that is only automotive, right? They're all thinking about users primarily um, coming in as mobile users or doing some sort of setup maybe for their application in a mobile phone. Like, you know, no one's really solved the, the problem of like typing on a key, like a touchscreen keyboard in the car is, is pretty terrible. So we, we definitely discourage that. And um, you try to keep some of those setup and configuration things on the phone. And then when you get into the car, it's really um, convenience and easy access things or 
things that help you with the primary task, which is getting to your destination. It's super interesting because I think whenever a new platform opens up, I think the first wave of tools uh, are sort of the the easy wins, right? It's the people that are porting over existing mobile applications. It's the people that are mirroring mobile experiences onto the screen, not necessarily just through auto, but you know, for whatever whatever mechanism that they have. I think what's super exciting to me when I think about this platform in this future are those uh, car specific or car first um, kind of application ideas. And I mean, for my mind, I think what's super interesting here is the opportunities possibly even for local app developers um, to be able to give that flair. Like I'm just thinking as a driver, how interesting if I was driving around my local town and it was able to, you know, uh, again, I don't know if permissions go to GPS and things like this, but if I'm allowed to dream, detect where I am downtown and allow me to reserve a table or see if there's a wait or see what events are going on in a particular area. This sounds super interesting to me. I'm curious from your perspective, if you're able to share, are there any uh, apps so far on the platform or ideas that you've heard for apps that are under development that you were like, wow, that's actually a super interesting idea. I can't believe nobody else has built that yet. Like what is in the future for us as far as the apps that you've already kind of seen or heard talked about? Yeah. That, um, I, I think it's, it's, you know, again, so I, I think what we tend to do is, um, uh, or I think my, maybe my personality specifically is I tend to um, relate things back to um, things that I've seen in the mobile industry in the past, right? So um, I, I think a funny way to think about it is when, you know, Steve Jobs uh, introduced the iPhone and then you think about like, what were those first five to 10 applications that Apple had put on, put on their phone and like, like the like one of the, like the most interesting apps at the time when that when the iPhone launched was like the stock app, and you just kind of think about how quaint that is in today's terms in terms of applications that run on iPhone and Android. Um, so I think one we don't I think we we need to uh, be honest with ourselves and say like it's uh, hopefully we are in a similar position where it what will happen with automotive and app like services built for automotive. We, um, you, you know, we probably are going to be really bad at predicting what is coming, right? I think, um, but all we can do is basically build this, build this platform, give the developers the tools, make it as easy as possible for these developers to come and then just, and just see what's happening. But for sure, like we are, we are looking at commerce uh, definitely as a space. So like, you know, having having an intelligent system in the vehicle that um, knows that you know you're going you're not going to one of your usual usual destinations, and maybe you need help with parking, and then when you arrive, it just magically transacts. And you know, um, you know, if you're driving down the road and you want to eat a cheeseburger, like having that be able to be done through your vehicle and having that context of your vehicle's location and maybe. ETA to that um, fast food restaurant be, you know, make that experience a, a little more magical. Um, those are definitely things that we are working with some developer partners, and um, it's uh, it's 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 really it's really fun. I, I mean, I I I, I look at these exp user experiences, and I and I know um, I think it's fun to do 
uh, something new that and build experiences in vehicles that haven't been seen before. And I, it's also really, really interesting to think about the fact that, you know, we're probably not going to get it right on the first shot. And um, us being um, the good thing about being uh, like a app store platform is that, you know, our, our responsibility isn't to build the, the greatest user experience. It's, it's really to help the developers, um, you know, uh, build those experiences. That's awesome. Well, there was one last topic that I, I wanted to just bring up, and it was more just something that fascinated me. I don't know why this didn't occur to me, but when I was reading through some of the Android automotive uh, OS stuff, uh, one of the things that I mentioned was references on how to integrate with things like Firebase. And again, as a web developer coming from a web developer tradition, certainly many of us have probably integrated with such platforms. And I think we've talked a lot about networking here, but I just feel like I don't know, maybe it's something that I take for granted that I think that a lot of the times when I'm interacting with an app on a car, I'm expecting it to read from the hard drive of my device, really. I'm not expecting it to call out, certainly not by itself, and mm -hmm. certainly not to hit arbitrary APIs to go do who knows what interesting thing in a serverless environment. So I guess it's somewhat to point that out to people that are sitting here thinking well, what they might want to build that this kind of integration is available. But I guess I'm just sort of curious as well, your take on networking in, in cars. I mean, you kind of touched on it a little bit, but just like the promise of that. I mean, is it is this going to be more ubiquitous? Is this what's going to drive users and, and manufacturers to have more effective ways of doing that? Or do you still see connectivity mostly fostered through phones or other devices into the into the systems? Right. Yeah, there's some interesting things happening. Um... In, if, in that regard. So I think right now, if you look at consumer appetite, uh, the value proposition probably isn't quite there yet for the average consumer. Like, why would I pay, you know, 10, even, even if it is as cheap as 10 bucks a month, why would I pay 10, an, an extra $10 a month to, to um, add connectivity or turn on, uh, pay for another subscription in my car? For, so, I, so my car has a 4G connection. Right. So I'll, 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 so I think that the, the current trend is like the car companies are setting, setting, setting the stage, right? Like all, at least for like North America and Europe and, and most developed markets, cars are shipping with at least a 4G connection now. Um, now the, the challenge that the car companies need to crack is like, how do you get the customer to find the value in that connection so that they start paying for it themselves? So it's not just on the car company to pay for that connection, right? So I think um, having great software in the vehicle is a minimum for you to get there. Um, but then I think also car companies are looking towards uh, what's new in kind of the world of like, you know, SIM cards and eSIMs and those types of things as ways to kind of solve that as well, right? So um, there's interesting things where, you know, you can add, depending on what market you are and what what brand car you have, you can actually, I think in some of the European markets, you can actually just add your uh, car as an extra phone line to your, you know, your family plan of, of connections that you're already paying with your smartphone. And then that's a much cheaper way to kind of get connectivity into your vehicle or to have some sort of shared SIM, like, you know, virtual SIM type thing where you're, sh you're sharing the connection and you're, you're paying for one line, but it's really powering two devices, your smartphone and, and the vehicle. So, so um, I think, um these things are uh, again i think just starting to get introduced into the market so i think we'll probably see in the next year or two which approach 
as a best market adoption. But um, from our perspective, we're not um, we're not too, we're pretty confident that that's going to solve itself. That the market will basically find a way so that every car has a connection, and if and if user wants wants to have that connection, it'll, it'll be there. Awesome. Well. We are coming down to the end of the uh, conversation here. So uh, as a final sort of point, can you kind of help people that might have just been inspired by this, um, that are interested to learn a little bit more about how to look into developing these apps or certainly the things that Harman provides? How can people kind of reach back or get connected and get involved in this, uh, you know, in, in building these apps? Yeah, absolutely. So, um, yeah, again, we, we would encourage anybody who's interested in the topic of developing for automotive to go to ignitedevelopers.harman.com and, um, you know, take a look at our content and, you know, absolutely there's a, you know, there's a link there to reach out or make contact with our team. And we're absolutely, uh, we're actually listening. We will get back to you right away and, and really excited to start having conversations with, um, with developers. So. Well, great. That is it for us then today. Thank you for listening to this modern web podcast on automotive app development with Harman. And thank you again to our guest, uh, Naoki, for, for sharing all of your thoughts with us. As always, the conversation doesn't have to stop here. Um, as you heard, you can find Naoki or reach out to his team and and, uh, and Harman from uh, their website, ignitedevelopers.harman.com. Harman is H-A-R-M-A-N. Uh, you can find me online on Twitter at RoboCell. You can find Harmon online at Harmon for that matter. Uh, as for the podcast, you can find us online at moderndotweb.com or on Twitter at modern.web. That's M-O-D-E-R-N-D-O-T-W-E-B. As always, again, thank you again to our sponsor, Harmon. We'll see you all next time. Thank you. This podcast is sponsored by this.labs, a framework agnostic consultancy that specializes in JavaScript. You can find them at this.co slash labs. That's T-H-I-S-D-O-T dot C-O slash labs. Yeah! Queries too, so come on, let's go, cause we got a show for you.